The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Okay, today's buzzword is fraud. Let's level set and let's define it. In criminal law, a fraud is an intentional deception made for personal gain of money or valuables or to damage another individual. Hey, kids, fraud is a crime and a civil law violation. So I Googled the word fraud this morning, and guess what? I got 349 million results in 0.43 seconds on Google. Isn't it grand? A couple of websites popped up. StopFraud.gov. Business Week has a fraud line. U.S. News and World Report has a fraud site. Yahoo News has one. CNN, ABC News, AAR. Oh, my goodness. So what do I say? Enough. It's 2013. By now, with all of our sophisticated technology, surely we've figured out how to catch the bad guys and gals who are stealing money and identities, who are bribing, corrupting, and otherwise cheating their companies and the consumer. Well, are we there yet? Not quite, say our experts. And does corporate crime pay enough to still be worthwhile to the baddies? Yes, it does. Here's what my guests on the panel today have to say. Jonathan Midup is with us. He says, corporate fraud is most often a product of good people in bad circumstances. Depending on those circumstances, we could all be fraudsters. We're talking to you out there in the audience. So put your good hat on today. We're also going to hear from Jonathan E. Turner. He says, over the past 15 years, we've made great strides in understanding fraud, increasing technology-based tools, and creating focused legislation, but here it comes. Fraud losses are increasing and fraud schemes go longer before detection. Even though we have better tools, guess what? The fraudsters do too and they are pulling ahead. OMG, we'll talk to Jonathan about that. Michael Rasmussen is with us today. He says simply, business today is like the Titanic. Go figure. He'll tell us more. Rod Brennan is on the panel. He says, Rod, I changed your quote. Fraud is the white elephant. It's 5% of revenue in any company and current controls will not find or prevent most fraud. Oh, ouch. And Norman Marks is joining us and he simply says, to those of you listening from companies, he says, manage fraud like never before. Words of wisdom. So join us today for a bold look at fraud risk management. Who, what, why, where, when, and how. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Let's get right to it. I have a packed house today on my panel. We've got a lot of noise in the background, but we're going to see if we can quiet it down there as we get going with the show. So I'm going to tell you who my guests are. They're simply 
quickly going to say hello, and then we'll dive back into their quotes. Jonathan Midup is with us. He's a partner in Ernst & Young's Fraud Investigation and Dispute Services, carrying out fraud, bribery, corruption, and regulatory investigations for 16 years. Welcome, Jonathan. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Hello. Good. Hello. Where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from the U.K., Okay, very good. Jonathan Turner, I'm allowed to call him Jet, but we're going to be very formal and call him Jonathan T on the show today because we have two Jonathans. Jonathan is, a C, his initials after his, well, must be a big business card, CFE, CII. He's Senior Director of Global Compliance Investigations for Wright Medical Technology and Founder and Managing Director of Wilson and Turner Incorporated. Jonathan Turner's background is in complex and sensitive investigations, corporate fraud, employee dishonesty. Ooh, what a thought money laundering ouch be still my heart and computer crime cases welcome jonathan turner and how are you today doing fine bonnie glad to be here wonderful thanks for joining us let's turn to michael rasmussen his initials ah this just gets better and better jd oceg fellow ccep grcp cissp and when we get down to business he's the chief grc pundit at grc 2020 research llc he's an internationally recognized authority on governance risk management and compliance known to those of us in the business as grc and he has been called the father of grc welcome michael rasmussen and how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Good, thank you for joining us. And my fourth guest, boy, do we have a packed panel. So many experts, I'm stunned. Gerard, we'll call him Rod Brennan, CFE and PhD, is North America Risk and Internal Control Officer for Siemens, a passionate advocate of using technology to audit and monitor Rod works with researchers around the world to develop a continuous auditing and monitoring culture. That's an interesting concept. And technology for Siemens. Welcome, Rod Brennan. How are you today? Doing great, Bonnie. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. And rounding out the panel is none other than Norman Marks, CPA, CRMA. He's Vice President and Evangelist at SAP. Norman focuses on governance, risk management, internal audit, compliance, enterprise performance, and the value of information. That's a biggie. Norman has been the Chief Audit Executive of major global corporations way back since 1990, and he is a globally recognized internal auditing and risk management thought leader. Welcome, Norman. How are you today? I'm doing fine. It's great to be with you all, and you especially, Bonnie. Well, thank you, and especially I thank you. So let's go back into the panels, monologue into the quotes, and let's find out what you all meant. We're going to do this really fast because I want to get everybody's voice on the air. Jonathan M., Jonathan Midup, you said corporate fraud is most often a product of good people in bad circumstances, and depending on what those are, we could all be fraudsters. You're frightening me, Jonathan. Talk to me. What do you base this on? Well, as you look at different models for fraud, I mean, people don't wake up in the morning and decide that they're going to commit fraud. <clears throat> Corporate fraudsters in particular need a number of things to be in place. Um, they might find an error that's not spotted or, or exploit a lack of oversight and become a fraudster in small increments over a long period. Um, there's, there's a maxim that we use in fraud investigation circles that there's no such thing as a small fraud, just a fraud that hasn't had time to grow. There's a guy called Don Cressy in the 1960s developed a model that says you need opportunity, motive, and rationalization to be in place. I've put forward in my quote something that says with the right motive and with the right rationalizations, many of us would be tempted to commit fraud. 
Wow. Do you think it depends on the economy? I know that's a very trite question, Jonathan M., but it, it seems to me that we're looking at, I don't want to get into the gun violence issues in the U.S. today, but we seem to always blame it on it's a bad economy. People are picking up guns. People are cheating. People are lying. People are stealing. Do you think that, that this, this tendency, this motivation, this relevance of circumstances, do you think that has anything to do with the world economy right now? Are people desperate? So, hey, I'm going to rob a bank or I'll just steal from my company. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the motivation uh, element of that model that goes up significantly when there's an economic downturn. And sure, when people's jobs are under threat, when they've been passed over for pay rises, etc., all of a sudden they've got a reason to commit fraud. And businesses such as, as ours see a sharp uptick in the amount of fraud that we're asked to investigate when there's an economic downturn. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Good reality check. Let's turn to the other Jonathan on our panel. Jonathan E. Turner, you say over the past 15 years, now let's see, that's taking us back to the very, very late 1990s, if my math is correct. We've made great strides in understanding fraud, increasing tech-based tools, focused legislation, but you say even though we have better tools, fraudsters do too, and they're pulling ahead. This is very, very important. Jonathan Turner, tell me, how are they getting the better tools? What's going on? It's, it's not that they have better tools, it's that they're making better use of the tools. If you can ah. imagine the analogy here, for them to succeed, they simply have to create a, a falsified invoice or overpay a bill or, or cheat on an expense report once. On the other hand, for us to succeed, we have to stop it every single time. So being able to use tools to commit fraud is simply far easier. Now, the other side of this is technology. If you take a look at the tools that are available, uh, fraudsters have it better than they ever did before. As a simple example, in the U.S., we redesigned our currency about 10 or 15 years ago, and we spent 10 years building the security programs around the currency to protect against counterfeiting. But the technology change between when we started that process and when we released the bills meant that when we released these new, powerful, anti-counterfeiting bills, the technology was already out there to duplicate them on a home color scanner and a home color printer. So, you know, the Moore's Law in technology says that the power of technology doubles every 18 months. And the challenge I would put to the listeners is if you're not updating your anti-fraud processes, procedures, and controls every 18 months, they're pulling ahead. I think the show is over. I think we just came down to the bottom line. Thank you. Very, very good advice. If anybody, whoever's listening live to us today, by the way, it's January 22nd, 2013. This show is gold for you and your company, even for you personally. So don't stop listening. Don't change that app. Michael Rasmussen, let's get you into this first segment. Business today is like the Titanic. Are we sinking that fast? Have we hit the iceberg of fraud? Talk to me, Michael. <clears throat> well, the Titanic analogy is because of the complexity of business, the dynamic and distributed nature of business. Um, there's multiple things that went wrong with the Titanic. Uh, in fact, Captain E.J. Smith has been said, he stated that never in all history have we harnessed such formidable technology. Every scientific advancement known to man has been incorporated into its design. The operational controls are sound and foolproof. Um, we know what they said about the Titanic in the headlines of newspapers. It was unsinkable. But, you know, mm -hmm. what went wrong? You had overconfidence in the ship's design. You had a push to get it across the Atlantic quickly to show its speed and power of the day. You had um, some design flaws where in which they uh, believed that the size of the propeller and the rudder were undersized for the massive size of the ship. You had uh, um, health and safety issues where there wasn't the right number of uh, life preservers and lifeboats uh, uh, on board for the number of passengers on board. But they were fully compliant with the laws of the day. They just wasn't enough of safety equipment. 
you know, there's uh, quality issues in the iron ore holding the rivets together. Uh, somebody on watch was ignoring, you know, warnings of icebergs, and somebody else earlier in the day, you know, was actually telegraphed, you know, that, you know, there's icebergs in the area, and they responded back saying, shut up, uh, literally. <laughs> um, and, and, and blast, you know, the Titanic was headed dead on towards an iceberg, and if it would have hit it dead on, only two compartments would have flooded. Instead, when they hit it on the side, six compartments flooded, and the Titanic sank. I bring this analogy up because, you know, it, it really shows the intricacies of business today. Business is very dynamic and distributed. And managing fraud today is not the same as managing fraud 20 years ago. As, you know, the colleagues on the phone have already mentioned, we have to keep things current. Uh, there's complexity of business. You know, a lot of my focus on fraud this last year has been more on the bribery and corruption side. I mean, when we look at types of fraud, there could be, you know, the financial misstatements, there's uh, misappropriation of assets, there's some of the, the business practice fraud and dealing with customers and things, but there's also bribery and corruption. Uh, and then you look at something like bribery and corruption, and business is extended, distributed, and dynamic. We're dealing with contractors, consultants, temporary workers, outsourcers, service providers, agents, you name it. <clears throat> Trying to manage fraud, particularly the corruption and bribery fraud I've been focusing on this last year, is quite challenging in today's very dynamic and distributed business environment. Like the Titanic, there's many places where things can go wrong, and we need more integrated systems and, and technologies to be able to monitor and manage fraud that, that align with our processes, of course, uh, so that we can, we can get a handle on this and, and see the big picture of risk. Because if you look at the Titanic, a lot of these risks may or may not have been known in their individual departments, but as an aggregate, they all had a, more, had a significant impact on the Titanic. Michael, thank you. And you know what? We haven't hit an iceberg, but we've hit the end of our first segment, just like, bam, the Titanic. But we're not going to sink the ship. We're going to float it for the next 45 minutes. We will introduce, starting in the next segment, Rod Brennan and Norman Marks. We'll get to their quotes. And after that, we'll do our Coffee Break segment. I'm Bonnie T. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. What a show today. We're daring boldly to go where we have not gone before. Fraud, risk, management, who, what? what, where, when, and how. Don't even think of touching that up. We'll be right back. What a panel. What a show. Brad, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Absolutely. Here we are, and we're going to we're going to delay a little bit talking about what's in my guest cups because we have two more guests to hear from What a Pack panel. We're going to kick this off with Rod Brennan. Rod said in his opening quote, fraud is the white elephant. It is 5% of revenue in any company, and he's citing the ACFE 2012 report to the nations, and he says current controls will not find or prevent most fraud, which goes with what our other guests are saying. Rod, tell me about your quote, please. Sure, Bonnie. Uh well, I think uh, if our listeners could just think for a minute what your business is, whether it's government and you have a budget or it's revenue in a company, just think of what that 5% is. It's huge. Um, and this is, by the way, empirical data. It was based on uh, about 2,000 actual fraud cases. And if you extrapolate that over the whole GDP, we're talking about $3.5 trillion of potential fraud around the world. And uh, the average duration of that fraud from this study was uh, 18 months per fraud. So this goes on for a long time. And I think well, the thing I'm trying to point out here is that this is a huge uh, opportunity, and it's one we're not getting at with our traditional uh, control-based, periodic, sample-based uh, approaches. Uh, as an example, most financial fraud, the study also points out, is collusive. So the whole control environment that I'm putting in is not going to address collusive fraud in most cases because it has, you know, segregation of duties type aspects. And one of the interesting things in some of the early reports from uh, the ACFE is that um, the, the, the best way to address fraud is to create a perception of monitoring. In other words, mm-hmm. Big Brother is watching. Someone is watching what you're doing. That takes away, one of the earlier guests mentioned, the uh, opportunity, rationalization, and motivation. If I don't see an opportunity because I'm monitoring 100% of the data and constantly monitoring everything that's going on, and, and I think what's important here, too, is to realize that this is not a technology problem, in my view. This is a culture problem because we've had technology with SP uh, statistical process control and uh, vibration analysis uh, in manufacturing for 30 years. But when it comes time to monitor financial information or corporate data, there's a lot of cultural barriers to that for a lot of reasons, which we can talk about later. Okay, thank you, Rod. Good points. And I'm going to wrap up the panel introduction with Norman Marks. And Norman, this is a great way to wrap up my monologue, which started in the previous segment. You say manage fraud like never before. And I think that's where all of the guests were leading. And you just tied it up in five keywords. So talk to me, Norman Marks. Why? How? What do you suggest? (laughs) Sure, Bonnie. So I'm the optimist on the panel, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and that's rather strange for, for somebody who's been in charge of internal audit for more than 20 years and uh, had responsibility for investigating and even detecting fraud. I had a fraud investigation unit, and as was referenced by some of the others, we actually put in fraud detection automation uh, some software. But I never felt comfortable that we had sufficient monitoring and capability to keep it current as all of the fraud risks were changing. But I'm such an optimist because as I look at the technology that is available now, which is so much more powerful than it was even a year or 18 months ago, I can see the ability to to change, to put in new uh, monitoring capabilities and identify fraud risk, see where it's changing, see all of the indicators that came out of, um, and and I'm looking here at something from Joe Wells, uh, who's the the grandfather of the ACFE. He came up with uh, some research that identified that monitoring, looking at potential indicators of fraud, will give you a really good indication of whether fraud is happening. 
And I think the technology we have today is so much more powerful. You can put it in quickly. You can get the results in almost real time so that you can be alerted to a potential situation wherever you are in the world on your handheld device or a mobile device. You can go in, you can see all the data, and you have the opportunity to respond and investigate and stop a loss so much faster. So I am very, very optimistic that the technology we have today will stop us from hitting the Titanic. One of the problems we had with the Titanic was it was unable to navigate fast enough. Now we can actually navigate our risk management program uh, and our fraud detection program fast enough and avoid that iceberg. Thank you, Norman. Great point, and I'm glad we have an optimist on the panel. We're going to find out if we have four more optimists as we get deeper into the topic. Now, my friends, it's time for me to dial back to what we usually do at the top of the second segment when we don't have quite a full house and talk about what's in your cup today. I'm expecting great stories from all of you. So let's start with Jonathan M. Jonathan Midup. What are you drinking today, or what do you want us to think you're drinking today? No fraud intended. Talk to me, Jonathan. Uh, today I've got uh, a small Italian espresso with a cold glass of water. Um, I've been doing some work in Italy re- uh, recently, and it's a, it's a really good way to kickstart your morning. Um, the uh, the work I've been doing is, is primarily looking at, uh, at some bribery and corruption allegations, and you really need to be thinking on your feet fast, and the espresso really helps. Well, I get the espresso part, but I've never heard of the cold water chaser. Tell me, what do you do? You take one sip of one from and the one the other, and and do they neutralize each other, or what's the water for? Tell me. Oh, it's just the refreshing part. Yeah, if you do it properly in Italy, you have your small espresso, cold glass of water by the side. I'm sure some of our international listeners will uh, will, uh, will back it. me up on that one. I love it. I have to ask Malcolm, my co-producer, if we've ever heard that before in almost 85 shows. Jonathan Turner, Jet, what are you drinking today? Well, based here in the southern United States, there's nothing better than iced tea. So that's that's the kickoff that makes me move. Uh, I got to agree with my other Jonathan on here that a little caffeine in the morning keeps the brain working properly. And what we have to focus on is complicated enough that you need everything firing on eight cylinders. Absolutely. And of course, I have a probing question here, Jonathan E. Turner. What kind of tea is in your iced tea? Come on, give me a little more information here. Oh, it's it's a green tea kind of morning. Got to be a little bit more oh. while we work this out. Okay, I like that. Michael Rasmussen, what drinkest thou today? Pardon, can you say that again? What are you drinking? Coffee. What kind of coffee? Uh, well, Starbucks. Okay, and what, what flavor, what kind, what strength? Whatever they serve here at the hotel that I'm at. So I just think <laughs> the Starbucks brand, so whatever their, the house brand is, maybe it's Pike Place. Hotel coffee, there we go. Rod Brennan, what are you drinking today? Well, Bonnie, I'm the uh, the health conscious guy here. I got my organic green tea, lots of Ooh. antioxidants, uh, honey in it, and then a little bit of steam milk. Oh, nice, nice, nice. And what kind of honey? Come on, you know I'm I'm trying to get some more information here. What kind of honey is it? This do you is know? wildflower honey, organic oh. honey too. I was hoping it'd be a double <laughs> organic. Very good. We believe you now. And Norman Marks, what are you drinking? Well, I've been uh, spending the last uh, few days with one of our major customers here in Athens, Coca-Cola. And so guess what I've been drinking? And uh, particularly I've been drinking the the Coke Zero and talking to the customer about how we can ensure that we have zero SOX deficiencies and zero fraud. 
I love it. Now, I have a, a question you probably have not been asked maybe ever. Are you drinking the Coke cold or warm? And the reason I'm asking you, Norman, is because we've had guests, one in particular, uh, I think it's Brian Summer, who is typically drinking a warm Dr. Pepper for breakfast whenever he's on the show. So how do you like your Coke in the morning when you're in Athens, Norman? How do I like my Coke when I'm in Athens? Typically cold because it's warm. And I need to call okay. down. <laughs> All right, very good. Okay, let's dive back into our round table. We're already we're already going and making the rounds here. I, I love this panel. And I have to do a shout-out, by the way, to Michael Lortz from SAP and Jerome Pugnett as well for helping to gather the troops for today's show. This has been a long time in the making, and I can see why. We have such stellar experts. And thank you all for taking your time today to talk to us about this. I sense we've got a part two in the making already. So Jonathan M., Jonathan Meadow. You, you told me that cooking the books is still something people are talking about. The risk of accounts manipulation fraud or cooking the books is widely understated. I think that phrase goes back decades and decades. They're cooking the books. What does it mean today? How do you cook them? Do you, is it on a back burner in the in the back? Is it people under with green eye shades and a little lamp in the back? Is it high tech computer professionals saying oh, where's that quarter penny in the account? I'm you know there was a movie made about that. I think it was a Superman movie about miniature amounts of money creating huge bounties of fraud. So talk to me, Jonathan. Why is cooking the books understated? Sure. Um, cooking the books is, is one of those fraud risks that you don't initially think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people, when they think of fraud, think of theft, think of personal enrichment. But actually, in our experience, um, cooking the books is far more of a threat in the you can cook the books in ways that, that are difficult to detect. Most people's control environments, they concentrate on cash, stock, things that people will steal. Whereas actually in cooking the books, manipulating the profit, those kinds of things, you can do it anywhere. And it's much more difficult to concentrate your controls on the areas where uh, people might, might manipulate this. Added to that, you can, you can cook the books to a much greater degree over a shorter period of time. Uh, so the numbers involved can be much greater. Plus, uh, if your investors are looking at this problem, if you have a theft fraud, a lot of them will kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, you've been unlucky. This could happen to anyone. Whereas if you have a, uh, an accounts manipulation problem, a cooking the books type fraud, then they'll say, okay, we're going to mark you down because there is something wrong with your control environment if that's happened to you. Very interesting. I want to turn to Jonathan Turner. And by the way, anybody on the panel can jump in if you have anything to say, so don't wait for me to call on you. Uh, Jonathan Turner said, research into student cheating. Let's talk about some of the the uh, origins, if you will, of that mindset of cheating and fraud. Research into student cheating expose, exposes how and why we are seeing the explosion of fraud. That's a very good point, Jonathan. Between 1930 and 2010, that's a huge a- a range of, what, 80 years, the percentage of people who say they cheated in school went from... Okay, drum roll, 40% to over 90%. You are scaring me, Jonathan Turner. How do we know this? And do you think this is these 90% are, well, I'm not quite happy, as someone said, with my paycheck. I didn't get the promotion. I'll just dabble a little bit and nobody will catch me. What do you think? 
Well, we're talking about underlying attitudes, and somebody brought up the fraud mm-hmm. triangle earlier, and they were right. So as we look at this, we talk about what your resistance to getting involved in. And the survey results that we, I was speaking to are self-reported. In other words, these are questions that were asked of people after they're out of school, when there's no jeopardy, and what they would self-report these numbers to be. And so what we're now dealing with is instead of believing that maybe there's one rotten apple in a barrel, what we have to believe is that the majority of the employees in an organization could – act on these impulses if the right opportunity or the right motivation was applied to them. And I think our other panelist was dead right. It's not that I'm pessimistic about this. It's that you have to be realistic about the environment that you're operating in. If you were a, a house builder and you built a house on the edge of a cliff, you know there's a chance that the cliff could collapse. It's knowing that that allows you to be smarter about it. And so given the reality of who the employees are and where they come from and what they are more comfortable doing, we have to change our controls dynamically to take that into account. Too many organizations believe their employees are out for the organization's best interest when, in fact, almost every individual is out for their own best interest. Many times that parallels the organization, but if it doesn't, Mm -hmm. the opportunity for fraud comes out. Hmm. I'm going to open this question up to everybody. We have several people who haven't, uh, I guess everybody, almost everybody spoken on this segment. Uh, what about this, this culture, this idea that uh, people are disgruntled or they say, well, I might be able to get away with it. Nobody's watching. The perception of monitoring. Do we have a perception of monitoring or do people think they can get away with it? Norman, Rod, anybody want to jump in? Michael? Sure, well, I will. I'll just share, I'll just share <clears throat> a simple story. We, when I was uh, at the bank, we would actually uh, put in dummy cameras behind a, a dome that made it feel like people were being on camera. But there, there wasn't actually a camera there, but it reduced the risk of fraud. Very effective. But even, what's even more effective is when people can actually see the results and somebody in their department all of a sudden disappears. And that changes the culture immediately. On the other hand, there are, most surveys will say that people are aware of other people within that they co-workers, maybe their boss, maybe maybe others that they, they see, are doing something breaking the rules, and they get away with it. And so the, the better we are at catching and setting examples, or at least having those people disappear, the better we are. Yeah. Bonnie, this is Rod. I think another important yes, thing right. to realize is that the people that uh, conceal or perpetrate fraud, you know, we have this perception that they're somehow you know scumbags that are just the... the, the but in many cases, it's, it's viewed from their standpoint, their rationalization is, is very benevolent. So, for example, someone doing earnings management as a CFO or whatever sees themselves as securing the jobs for their closest friends and associates and that they'll just make it up next month or fix it next month. So it's, it, these are not people who, you know, are, are, they're your neighbors that live next to you with nice lawns and kids going to good schools. These are not, you know, the, 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 the low level of the earth here. So we've got to realize that, you know, we've got to create a situation where no one has the opportunity to perpetrate or conceal fraud because, or be in a position of power to do so because power absolutely corrupts, as Lord Atkinson. It absolutely does, and I'm absolutely up against another break. Can you believe it? We've filled two segments already. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. Great panel, great information. You don't want to miss the next half. We're going to come back and open with Norman Marks, and we're going to talk about why priority and resources are not being given to fraud prevention and detection. So if you're out there contemplating creating a fraud situation, you better listen up because we're going to tell you what you're up against. Don't even think of touching that app. We'll be right back. Brad out. 
From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at twitter hashtag SAPRADIO now let's get back to coffee break with game changers and we have a late breaking coffee order here we have cost plus french from Malcolm who's drinking for a change from equator there you go okay Norman Marks let's talk about why companies are or are not giving priority and, and allocating resources to fraud prevention and detection. We've established as a culture, we've established that maybe 90% of people actually admitted to fraud when they were in school, cheating we used to call it, we still do. Why are companies not taking this seriously or are the wrong people in charge of fraud prevention? You have the experience. Set the stage for us, please, Norman Marks. Sure, Bonnie. So I think this is... Um there's no simple answer. There's a lot of different reasons. Sometimes, as was said before, the executives think that this is part of the cost of doing business. And so they're not really willing to spend an awful lot of money to, to do a fraud risk assessment, which is really, really critical, to, is to actually go through, do a rigorous, uh, disciplined assessment of the risk of fraud and what you can do about it and how you're going to determine whether it's happening and how you're going to be able to respond. So they... They don't necessarily understand it, that it could be not only a loss in terms of cash, but very disruptive to the business. When there's fraud and dishonesty going on with the business, within the business, within the employees, you're going to see lack of attention to quality, lack of attention to performance, mm-hmm. and it sort of breeds. Okay? Uh, from investigations, uh, typically if I go into an area and there is some level of fraud, I'm going to see other people doing fraud very, very similar. So they don't understand how disruptive this can be to the business. That 5% that was mentioned before from the SEFE study is almost the tip of the iceberg that, that Titanic hit. So I think the, the critical thing, the lesson to learn here is to understand what that risk is, see what kind of efforts you can do to measure it, monitor it, understand what you can do to put in monitoring to understand the risk, and also to detect signs that it's happening. And then you can make tremendous inroads. Okay. Michael, thank you, Norman. Michael Rasmussen says that not enough attention is being paid to the internal control over financial reporting. Is this the tip of the iceberg? Is this where the attention should really be paid, the financial reporting? Uh, Michael, talk to me. Well, the the context of that comment was in, in relating to bribery and corruption, Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, for the past decade, we've spent a lot of time on Sarbanes-Oxley 
and a lot of the internal controls over financial reporting in response to SOX. Um, but in working with a lot of companies this last year on things like FCPA and the UK Bribery Act, um, there's a lot of effort and attention being paid to um, the, the policies, the training, the communications, and those are all very important, extremely important, because that sets the tone and culture, particularly if they're enforced. Um, but what I find missing, and if you look back at the Department of Justice and SEC released like 120 pages of guidance on FCPA a few months ago, you know, half the document was on the internal controls over financial reporting relating to bribery and corruption. And, uh, and a lot of the initiatives that um, I've been involved with in working with chief compliance officers, it seems like that internal control piece uh, over financial reporting is missing for bribery and corruption. Uh, but if you look at some of the enforcement cases, like Nature's Sunshine, in which the court implicated the, the CFO and COO of Nature's Sunshine saying, you know, basically, you know, we don't think you were involved in the bribery there's nothing that points to that, but you're negligent because you should have detected what was going on in the environment. Mm -hmm. you, I mean, basically, they should have had stronger internal controls or financial reporting to detect that bribery and corruption. Uh, and so uh, my comments weren't in general about all of internal controls or financial reporting because there's areas that okay. are quite matured in response to SOX. When it comes to bribery and corruption, I still think we have a lot of room to, to mature. Very interesting. Thank you. And I'm going to introduce... Yes. Up here. yes, please. Go ahead, um, Jonathan. I was, I was just going to build on that point because I think another thing standing in the way is a very practical point in that a lot of businesses haven't still saved, uh, solved the age-old problem of, of whose responsibility fraud is. Is it a legal mm -hmm. issue? Yes. Is it a finance issue? Does it belong in internal audit, security, compliance? Or, or I have even seen some businesses try and deal with it out of their, out of their human resources, HR departments. Uh, and so it tends to fall between a number of stools. Okay, I want to talk, I want to introduce, and thank you for that, Jonathan M. I want to introduce a word we haven't heard, and my engineer Brad told me there was a movie with Johnny Lee Miller and Angelina Jolie way back called Hackers. We haven't talked about hackers, and that leads me to the question of computer fraud. And Jonathan M., you just spoke, I want to ask you a question. You say there is no such thing as computer fraud. Computers may be used in fraud, but it is to facilitate frauds that have always existed. That is provocative. It sounds like a, a good level setting, a new definition. Talk to me, and then anybody can jump in after that. So why is there no such thing as computer fraud? Well, computers have facilitated fraud. Computers make it faster. Uh, they make it easier to defraud people of larger amounts. They make it easier to send an email to millions of people, uh, to, to uh, get, try and scam a number of them out of their money. But these are at their heart are frauds that have always existed. So uh, the computer is merely a tool. It is not a type of fraud itself. But the problem is that, that actually with the speed that they're transacting, uh, the wide reach that computers allow, this tool is meaning that people can broadcast their fraud at a, at a scale and a level that we've never seen before. Yeah, this is Rod just building on that a little bit. Yes. Just think about how naive we are to think that in this age of big data and cloud computing and uh, and and fast, you know, all, all this technology that we're really going to effectively address fraud by coming in once a year uh, to audit uh, for financial attestation for SOCs and financial reporting and audit the people who perpetrate most of the fraud, which are C CFOs and accountants and expect that uh, we're going to find stuff by interviewing them and taking a sample of 10 out of 10 million transactions. It's, it's naive, you know. 
Uh, Very I would, nice. This is, this is Norman. Jonathan Turner, I'd like, and I would I'd like add, to add one more comment to that. On this, which, and I don't I, want to scare wait. people with this, okay, because there are, there are uh, ways to address this. But, again, it comes back down to understanding the risk. The um, organized crime around the world is now really getting into the business of using the, the computer to steal data, steal information, and commit fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, it's not only these people we need to worry about when it comes to industrial espionage, because most industrial espionage is actually being done by organizations under governments. Now, mm. here's an interesting fact, piece of, piece of nonsense, if you like, but true. There are 192 countries in the world, legal countries, represented the United Nations. 120 of those have an organized cyber warfare unit. So for us to really believe that we can always keep these people out is, is, mm-hmm. is really sticking our head in the sand. There's always going to be that risk that people will be able to get it. We need to, to start shifting our attention to some degree on understanding whether they've got it and how we're going to keep them out of our valuable assets that we store in our systems to store on, on the, the network. Thank you, Norman. Jonathan E. Turner, I heard you in the background. Talk to me. What were you going to add? Well, I'll, I'll back up one point and then maybe throw out a different sort of provocative thought. Uh, one of the things do. I collect is fraud references. Mm-hmm. And the oldest book on fraud that I've been able to find was published in 1869, and it describes <laughs> a series of financial scams that people could perpetrate. And we see them all today. So we have not succeeded in eliminating a single fraud scheme in 150 years. Um, I'll take the point completely that computers make them easier, make them faster, uh, make them more adaptable, but it's people that commit fraud. And it's really important for us to, to take this cloud computing industrial espionage direction for a minute. The amount of faith that people have in data that is somewhere in the world is outstanding. Uh, I mean, it's just truly amazing because people will upload their most valuable and personal information with no thought as to who yes. else can see that. And companies are exactly the same way. Uh, I've been in many presentations where people from IT will make a presentation about how great this cloud-based backup system will be, and mm-hmm. then I ask a simple question. What country is the data being stored in? And they have no idea. It hasn't even occurred to them that there could be a risk related to either cyber warfare or organized crime or employee fraud or outside hacking. It's just they're so focused on what the solution would mean, they're not even thinking about what the risk elements are. I want to introduce the word naive into this. I'm, I'm listening to the conversation. I'm following a lot of the points my wonderful guest sent me in advance, and I'm going to, to put this out, and we're about three minutes before the end of the segment. I can't believe how fast this is going. Naive in the sense of exactly what you said, Jonathan E. Turner, about people being naive about what they're doing with their data, where they're putting it, where is it stored, who's watching it, who has access, what's, what is uh, corruptible, what is stealable, what is shareable. Common sense, we still don't have it. We're trusting, or people who aren't trusting aren't doing it at all because they're scared of everything. The other side of the coin for me is the naivete of people who think that they can use computers to commit fraud. We talked about with Jonathan M. that computers are a tool for fraud. They aren't creating fraud. There's no such thing as computer fraud. I understand that. But the idea that people think that digital information can be erased 
it's not as easy as it sounds. It's not easy at all. And we know that there are probably audit trails that are indelible. Can I go that far as to say indelible digital trails of wrongdoing that can be discovered? We see it on the TV shows all the time. Anybody want to answer me? Am I right that some of the perpetrators who are using computers for fraud don't understand that they can be found out through their digital audit trail? Yes, no? You're right, but it's only if somebody has the tools and they're using the tools to do it. Yes, correct. And that's where the naivety comes in, is that it's not only the perpetrator, this is normal, it's not only the perpetrator that's being naive, thinking that they're not going to be detected, but the organizations are being naive because they're not actually trying to detect it. Ah, so we have a whole, you know what, I think I said in the beginning of the show, we need a part two on this almost immediately. I'm going to put you all back in for part two in in the spring because our schedule is packed. But you know what, we are up against another break right about now. So I'm going to tell everybody that we're going to hear wrap up. We're going to do predictions five years from today. What will corporate fraud, bribery, corruption look like? Will we be smarter? Will the perpetrators be smarter and more careful and more covert? Will companies be better about regulating how everybody touches their data. Will individuals know what to do? We're going to talk to Jonathan Midup, Jonathan E. Turner, Michael Rasmussen, Rod Brennan, Norman Marks, and each give me a one-minute spot-on five-year prediction when we come back after the break. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, no fraud intended there, a.k.a. Radio Red. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Don't even think of touching that app. Brad, out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And it's time for the Crystal Ball prediction segment. Jonathan Midup, talk to me. Five years from today, January 2018, will we still be talking about fraud, corruption, bribery? Well, yes or no? What will it look like? I'm afraid we will. Um... Listening back to the book from 150 years ago, only five years in the future, we're not going to have eradicated fraud. There's, there's three points I'll pick up as I gazed into my crystal ball. Um, mm-hmm. I think by that point, forensic accounting skills, the sorts of skills that, that, that my team has and the tools that we use, use will be mainstream for business and their auditors. They'll come a lot more into the mainstream people will use us for their everyday uh, transactions. I think the second point is that businesses and their advisors will be will be entirely responsible for fraud because police forces 
um, will be just outsourcing it to business. They're already backing off for everything but the the highest um, public interest or the largest frauds. We're going to see more and more of that uh, and by the end of the five years. And my last point, and I think it's the most important one, is that the, what will be driving uh, better fraud risk management in five years' time will be some of the bribery and corruption super fines. We've seen some of them coming through already from the Department of Justice, the SEC, uh, and the, in the UK, the Serious Fraud Office is beginning to warm up to these sorts of, of issues. But these massive, massive fines on businesses will see them driving through fraud risk management in a way that we haven't seen up until now. So we can say fines will be fine. Thank you, Jonathan Midup. Jonathan Turner, talk to me. Well, I think we're going to be talking about the fraud of the century because roughly every five to ten years we have a new fraud of the century. Ah. And, uh, you know, ten years ago it was WorldCom and Enron. A couple of years ago it was Bernie Madoff. And what, what's really instructive about looking back is these are all different. So what we can't do is, is fight the last battle. And I would use in a, in a very short version the, one of the lessons that came out of the World War I, World War II time period. Uh, in response to World War I, uh, the French built the Maginot Line, and it was a tremendous, tremendous tool for stopping World War I from happening again. Unfortunately, we didn't have World War I. We had World War II, and technology played a role because what the German army had was tanks, which they didn't have in World War I, so they simply drove around it. And I think that's a key component. As we build controls, as we build solutions, as technology advances, we can't assume that the fraudster stays still. It's, it, the best analogy I have found and the best way I can look in the crystal ball is that we are playing chess, not checkers, and we are playing against opponents who learn from us as quickly as we learn from them, and we're playing in a dynamic, changing environment in which what the fraud schemes we're going to see uncovered over the next four or five years will not be those that we saw over the last four or five because we built protections for those. It's the ones we don't see coming that are going to be successful. Great predictions. Michael Rasmussen, talk to me. Five years ahead, what do you see? Well, we're not going to eliminate fraud because we're dealing with humans, and we can get into mm-hmm. philosophical and theological debates on the nature of humans. So, you know, fraud and fraud attempts is something we're going to always have to strive with. But we're going to have, you know, through a lot of what the other panelists said, you know, through increased enforcement actions um, and, and guidance and, and, you know, development of, you know, what are common and standard best practices, we're going to have better oversight for fraud that is going to enhance the company culture. You know, the, the, the best way to establish culture is to really, you know, communicate policies, communicate expectations, but also to enforce the policies as well. And so, you know, the, we're, we've we're already seen progress made on the policy and training front, and this is going to be supported by a lot of the detection mechanisms and, and the advancements in technology to uh, look for anomalies and be able to detect suspicious activity, and so that we can respond quicker and hopefully resolve fraud and fraud attempts much uh, sooner than letting them go on for months or years and growing out of, uh, out of hand. And not only growing out of hand, but becoming the stuff of movies that people see and get ideas. OMG, what are we doing in our movie culture? Rod Brennan, talk to me. Five years from today, what will fraud look like? Good, bad, That's or ugly? Fun. Yes, but I encourage you to encourage your kids and grandkids to go into fraud investigation, and that's the kind of thing in the future. It'll be lots of job security. I agree with Jonathan. I think uh, the big failures are going to drive uh, some, some uh, meaningful change. I think the culture change we talked about is going to happen because the big four, the big firms, the uh, internal audit groups are starting to see the value proposition and recognize that 
the culture has to change, and we have to equip our young people uh, to uh, have the skills they need to uh, look at fraud. I think one interesting point that I, that I think is going to improve it over the next five years has nothing to do with fraud. It's this idea that uh, the investment community knows that we need to report faster, and you can't report faster mm. and more effectively if you don't use technology. And it's the same technology that we're going to use to address fraud. So I think near real-time or real-time reporting is going to help to drive getting these tools in place and using them effectively like we have in manufacturing and other places. And then those same tools can be used to prevent to detect and to investigate uh, fraud and risk uh, more effectively. So I'm pessimist or uh, cautiously optimistic, I guess. <laughs> okay, good to know. And Norman Marks, I think you're our eternal optimist on the panel here. Norman, what's coming up in five well, I, years? I, I, try to, I try to be a rational optimist. I think that <laughs> when it comes to corporations, government agencies, and so on, um, they are going to within five years, which is a long time for technology, they are going to actually uh, vastly improve their ability to understand fraud risk and to address it and investigate it. But, as was said before, the forces will shift their attention, and they'll shift their attention to, the, to your mobile phone and tablet, and they'll be stealing your data and your money from your phone. Okay, that was quick and to the point. I have a bonus question for each of my guests. You weren't expecting this, but I was just talking about movies. I'll give you 10 seconds each. Start thinking really fast. The clock is ticking now. We're going to do Jonathan M., then Turner, then Michael, then Rod and Norman. The question is, fraud of the century, what will the movie be called and who will star in it? I'm sorry to do this to you, but it's just too much fun. Jonathan M., what will the movie be called? Who will star in it? Talk to me. 10 seconds. Uh, I think I'm going, going to be going for uh, Rogue Trader 2, The Collapse of Another Bank. And who's in it? Uh, who's going to be in it? Uh, I think uh, let's have Harrison Ford. All right. Jonathan Turner, what's your movie title and who's in it? You know, I've always been partial to why, While They Were Watching. It just <laughs> seems like that's the, the expose that, that, that's coming out of there. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with an Ashley Judd movie. All right, Michael Rasmussen, movie title, who's in it? Oh, <laughs> um, to, to me, I'd have to go back with something related to the Titanic, you know, some type of the corporate Titanic. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, Leo DiCaprio is still around. Like oh. Now, like, investigate and find out all the corruption going on. Oh, nice. Rod Brennan, movie title, who's in it? Talk to me fast. Ten That's, seconds. Uh, Brad Pitt, and it's too big not to fail. Oh, Norman Marks. <laughs> What's your movie title? Well, I'm going to end up with a comedy starring Robin Williams, and it's a story about <laughs> how the cyber warfare unit in Iran stole the uh, Israeli general election. This <laughs> I want to thank you all for playing with me. I have some predictions of my own next Wednesday, January 30th. Can you believe by next week we will be ah, one-twelfth of the year is over already? We just started 2013. Anyway, next week the topic is HR globalization, secrets to a successful multi-country payroll. Everybody wants to listen to that. February 6th we'll be talking about talent analytics. Your employee is not just a number. Some interesting information. Thank you to my esteemed panel and thanks for playing so well, Jonathan Medup, Jonathan E. Turner, Michael Rasmussen, Rod Brennan, Norman Marks, and shout-outs to Anka Rebel, to Malcolm Kimberlin, to Michael 
Michael Lortz and Jerome Pugnett for helping us put the panel together for the Business Channel team. And I have a final message to my listeners. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham for SAP Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. We'll see you next week right here on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.